A neuro crash is when the imposed situation, the environment or circumstances overwhelms your loved one's brain so that their coping mechanisms shut down. That's when things do go off the rails, right? And they don't want to have, like as Kate was alluding to, they don't want the neuro crash just as much, maybe more than you don't want it. They're doing a lot of things to try not to have it. Want to truly be the best parent you can be and help your child thrive after their autism diagnosis? This podcast is for all in parents like you who know more is possible for your child. With each episode, we reveal a secret that empowers you to be the parent your child needs now, saving you time, energy, and money, and helping you focus on what truly matters most, your child. I'm Cass. And I'm Len. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. It's Len and Cass and I are delighted to welcome back to the show Kate C. Wild and Ron K. Kaufman. They are friends and they are founders of the Autism Crisis Turnaround. And together, they have been supporting parents like you and working with your children for decades. I mean, honestly, no one on our show has deeper experience working and shining light for you and your family. And they've been on the podcast before, episode 69, 90, and 100. They'll be in the show notes. But a little bit of background on both uh, Ron and Kate. Kate specifically is the author of several books, and most recently, Autism Abracadabra. But she's also the author of Autistic Logistics and the Autism Language Launcher, all phenomenal books on very specific topics that you're likely dealing with. And Ron K. Kaufman is the author of the book, Autism Breakthrough, the groundbreaking method that has helped families all over the world. And again, together, they are a wealth of knowledge. We are so super excited that they're here. The secret this week is it's not a tantrum, it's a neuro crash. So welcome, Kate and Ron. Thank you for having us. We're so psyched to be back. Yes, thank you, Len and Cass, for your generous introduction, too. We're excited. You guys have been lights on our journey, and we're just always excited to have conversations and for our listeners to really share the wisdom that you impart. And and it's also true because there's a lot of people who are out there helping families and, and trying in several ways, but experience counts. Seeing so many families and children really matters in terms of coming up with what's really going to be useful, what's going to be helpful. And again, we can have an episode a week with you both. Uh, So this week, we're excited about this topic. And if you could, though, just give a little bit of background more on the uh, on ACT, if you explain more about the, the what you've created and who it's for and just give a little bit more background on what you're doing now. I'll just say this. The reason we even decided, Kate and I decided to to go down this road is because we were really, we've been, as you guys said, we've been in the field for a long time, worked with a lot of different families and therapists and schools and kids and adults. And we were, we were really aware that a couple of things were going on. One is our, our loved ones on the spectrum were just pretty profoundly misunderstood in a bunch of different ways, but in particular, one way that they're really misunderstood had to do with uh, meltdowns, so-called tantrums, extreme or explosive behavior, and even things just like intense anxiety. So they were being misunderstood. And then also this idea of people then seeing 
meltdowns, tantrums, things like that as an at either, either the, the child or adult's fault, they're doing something wrong, they need to be taught the appropriate way to behave, or, and, and I see this more lately, um, this is just a product of autism. This is part of autism. When you have autism, you're going to get a lot of meltdowns. You're going to get a lot of so-called tantrums. You're going to get all this up. This is what happens. Um, and so we, so we were really like, okay, we want to give people a real window into what's going on on the inside for their loved ones, especially when they're doing these kinds of reactions or behaviors. And we want to show them that, hey, this actually isn't inevitable. It's not part of autism. It's actually a lot of people on the spectrum experience this, but that's be, that's because people on the spectrum are often exposed to circumstances and environments that make it impossible for them to function. So if we can, if we can really see that, then identify what's making it impossible for them to function, change that, which is what the ACT protocol is built on, has these five crisis turnaround tools that are involved in changing that aspect, then what we find is that this turnaround can happen pretty quickly. It can really change because they're not constantly, the person on the spectrum is not constantly under fire and on fire. I, I love that you said that, Ron, because I think the biggest thing as a mom of a child who was diagnosed, you know, at 18 months old, so many experts that we visited, it was like, well, that's the autism, that's the autism, that's the autism, and that's bullshit. And so this is where I know I would just, when you were talking, I went back to a tantrum that Rai had. We were in a um, a toy store in Brooklyn, and he like tantrum to leave, and he kept, he wasn't really talking, but he was, he said like LMS, and I was like, Len, go back in that store, and there's got to be something with like some kind of LMS on it. And he actually found a stinking Thomas train with LMS on it. And he was really sad to depart this train. So I was like, of course, that wasn't his autism. That was just a child trying to express his needs. And he didn't really have the words. And so we went with him. And I love that you guys are focusing on this because so much more is it's so beyond the diagnosis, right? Yeah. And can I just say a quick thing on that? Because it's interesting because he might have been able to express that differently if he weren't in an environment, let's say like a toy store in the middle of Brooklyn. Right. So that, so it's like, that's a great example of it. Like if it's, if it makes it impossible for him to function, then he's, you know, he doesn't, he might not have the internal resources because we've burned through all of them to say like in a more cohesive way, even if he's not super verbal, to sort of articulate that he needs a break or he needs to get out of there or he wants that Thomas the Tank Engine, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, and one one thing I wanted to say also is that, um, Ron, you were talking about how our children and our adults are so misunderstood, which they are. And um, I know we're going to share with you guys a great visualization so that you can really understand more what our children go through on a minute to minute, hour to hour basis in the neurotypical world. But also what we've seen through our 30 years of experience is we've seen that um, most people are given solutions if they're lucky enough to be given a solution when they're in the middle of a crisis, that actually make everything worse, <laughs> not better. So they're given what we call, what we believe and see are um, symptom suppressors, right? Just getting our child or our adult to be quiet and shut up right now, which is either a screen, more screens, right? Which are very, they're like an illusion because in the moment, 
it might help our child cope or our adult cope for the next minute, but it actually does not change the situation at all. It actually makes it worse. <laughs> so it's kind of an illusion. And the second is um, like last minute solutions that most parents are dreading to hear, which is residential care, right? Or more drugs, which absolutely don't change the situation. So we knew that we knew so many things, so many solutions that can really make a tremendous difference. So we put it together in our ACT course, which is a two-day live course that gives you tangible, gives parents and actually professionals tangible things that you can do that have, you know, we have so many stories now of families of 16-year-olds, 13-year-olds, two-year-olds, four-year-olds completely changing their situations without any of those three symptom suppressors. So we were pretty excited about being able to do this. That's really exciting. And I love the term symptom suppressors because that that really rings true. And it's also, it's not unlike, you know, you could look at it from the same standpoint with medicine where you know, conventional medicine, whatever you want to say about it, whatever judgments you might have about it is designed to focus on the symptoms as opposed to something like functional medicine, which is to really unearth the root cause. And it sounds like what you've put together is these solutions that do at least get toward the root of what is happening for that child so that it's not just about winning that battle, if it is a battle, it's it's about something that's just useful and is in many ways meeting your child or loved one where they are. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it really comes back to that. It's interesting what you say about the, the desire to, and the way that medicine's often set up, not always, obviously, but for, for a lot of things, right. It, it would be like someone, someone's arm is on fire and you just give them a bunch of aspirin. Listen, we'll give you a bunch of aspirin. It won't hurt as much when your arm is burning. Or we could say, hey, wait a minute, your arm's on fire. Maybe we should put that fire out. So we were, that's what we were trying to get at. And, and that's why we often say, hey, you're, you know, your child or adult isn't the problem. You're not the problem. And their autism is not the problem. And, and we often say even the behaviors that you're having trouble with aren't the problem either they're the signal of the problem, right? And then the problem itself is actually a, a term that Kate and I use called imposed situations, which are basically, uh, it's a catch-all term for sort of all the different, there are seven major causes of these kinds of uh, situations. And so basically it's it's like um, really being able to, to get that underneath that there's sensory overload, there's um, constant violations of our loved one's needs for control and predictability. There's situations like uh, just other people, other adults and stuff being really emotionally agitated around them, which our loved ones really pick up on and then contribute to their agitation. And then there's a host, there's several other ones as well. Uh, But really understanding that piece, that's the thing that's the fire, that if we actually address that, we can get away from trying to suppress the symptoms. Right. Because un- unless you do address it at that level, it's just going to keep recurring. Right. And it's going to be recurring and also super unpleasant for the person on the spectrum. 
right? Like, don't, don't we care what their experience is like? And it's, that's why I'm excited to do this, this visualization, because I think it's really important for not just people to kind of intellectually understand, hey, you know, people on the spectrum are coping with X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's helpful to know that, but to, to also have a more of a visceral gut feeling of what this actually feels like for your loved one on the spectrum. And, and that's why this discussion is so powerful, because I would put out there for you that for so many parents, even if they want to try to look at it from their child's perspective, in those moments, they can't. It's all about them. And it's all about them ending this and getting more compliance or having less you know, of a headache from, from whatever it might be that their child's doing. So I think that's where everything you're saying now makes perfect sense to me. And I'm sure to a lot, all of our listeners, but in the moment, it's hard to put yourself in your child, in your loved one or child's perspective to really understand what it is from their point of view. Yeah. And actually that might be a, if you're, if you're okay with it, it might be a good segue for me to jump into this, this piece. Cause I think it's, if everyone who's listening can just go through this, I think it's, it can be a kind of paradigm shifting experience. All right. Okay yeah. No, guys? Yep. Let's right, do yeah. it. And if, you're, and if you're listening, obviously, if you're driving, this is not the time to do this visualization, <laughs> but otherwise, uh, no, I'm excited. This, this, I know this is going to be great. Fantastic. Yeah. Yes. Please don't close your eyes if you're driving. But uh, but other than that, yeah, I just want to say something as I lead into this. So this is what you might think of as, first of all, understanding that everyone on the spectrum is having differences in their experiences. I'm not trying to say that everyone's having the exact same day. Of course, you know, we have loved ones are that, you know, some are more verbal, some are less verbal, uh, some are some stim with sound, some with objects. Uh, some like to talk about their favorite subjects, right? Some cry or hit when they're having a hard time. Some crawl up in a ball when they're having a hard time, right? So there's there's differences there, but there are some really crucial common threads running through their experiences uh, from their own, from their sensory processing issues, from their powerfully high need for control and predictability, from different ways that they're treated or environments that they're exposed to. So there's a lot of common threads. And I would just say, because I know hearing this might be hard for some people, and that's okay. You're allowed to have any emotional experience you want, you know, or that you experience from it. Uh, but I would just say that this is not, it doesn't have to be this way. This The way I'm about to guide you through, it doesn't have to be this way. This isn't, you know, people, autistic people can have wonderful lives that are really, really different from what I'm about to walk through with you. And that's what's great is if we really understand and get a visceral feel for this experience, then we can help help them not have it and help them have an experience that's really different from this. So uh, here we go. So if everyone who's listening can go ahead and close your eyes and just focus on the sound of my voice as we go through a day in the life of someone precious on the autism spectrum. You wake up and immediately you feel bombarded by sounds of your mom talking to you, your sheets rustling, of other people in the house, of water running. Light pinpricks your eyes and it feels like you're pinpricking your head as well. Smells pile into your nose and your skin feels super sensitive, like you've gotten a bad sunburn 
which makes it itchy and painful when you're now pushed to put on your clothes. People are barking orders at you. Some of these orders you don't understand and some you do. The ones you don't understand stress you out because you don't know what's going on, but people seem agitated about you. The ones you do understand also stress you out because you feel pushed and controlled when all you want to do is to feel in control of yourself and your environment, but you can't when someone's pushing you and what they're pushing you to do doesn't feel comfortable for you to do. On top of that, there is the rushing. People are rushing and people are rushing you. People are pushy and agitated. You feel a powerful urge to push back and get some sense of control so you can relax. You're trying to tune out the sensory bombardment so you can just breathe. You're scared, you're stressed, you're agitated, you don't feel safe. But the pushing is unrelenting. Do this, do that, do it faster. And then a little bit later, you're out the door and you're on your way to school. And the school bus is even louder than home. Lots of yelling. It's filled with people behaving in unpredictable ways, sometimes even in ways that feel mean. You just want to get off, but you can't yet. And now you're at school and there's even more sensory bombardment. It just will not stop. You move your hands and make some sounds. Huh, that feels nice, actually. You're looking at your hands and you're listening to the soothing sounds you're making. Yeah, this feels a little bit better. But now some adults are telling you to stop moving your hands and stop making those sounds. But you need to, so you keep doing it. And now the adults are getting agitated. They're holding onto your wrists. They're saying, shh, right in your face. It's building up. It's getting to be too much for you. Your breathing is quickening. Your heart is racing. You're squinting your eyes. You're biting your lip. You're opening and closing your hands. You shake your hands harder and make your sounds louder. The adults are now super agitated and are trying to get you to stop doing what you're doing. Commands are being shouted. You're sweating and stimming and screaming and suddenly you feel almost like you're outside of yourself. You're hitting and you're scratching and you're kicking and you're yelling and you're punching others and yourself. And you lose track of things for a while. Sometime later, you come back to yourself. You feel sad. You wish you hadn't had that kind of reaction, but you don't know how not to when things get to that level. And it's a, late, it's a little bit later, and you're in class, and you're in a class you don't really understand. You're being asked to do things you don't really want to do. You definitely don't want to have an explosion again like you did earlier. So you're doing everything you can to hold it together. And you're doing a decent job of it. People seem not to be agitated about you right now. They're not noticing that you're chewing on your lips and clasping tightly in one hand to a small toy that you find soothing. And now it's a little later and you're not in class. You're in a corner. You're flipping through the pages of a book you like to look at. And it feels pretty good. You like the deep blues of the drawings. There are underwater scenes with lots of cool creatures, including octopuses and squids, which you really like. Out of nowhere, another kid runs up and grabs the book and darts away. You were just starting to feel relaxed. 
You can feel yourself starting to sweat as the cacophony of sounds and kaleidoscope of lights floods back in now that you don't have the book to block them out. But you are determined not to completely lose control. And you get another book with underwater scenery, though this one isn't as good. The colors aren't as bright and there are no squids. But you focus back on the pages of the book and you begin to feel a little bit more relaxed. Sometime later, an adult comes up and tells you that you need to put the book away. The next class time is beginning. And the rest of the day unfolds in that way until you step back into your house. You feel like your skin is vibrating after this day. You've managed to barely hold it together for the rest of the school day. And now that it's over, you just feel like you're vibrating. As soon as you are fully in the house, you're peppered with questions about your school day. Although these questions are not asked in an agitated way, it's yet another push and you're almost out of resources to handle it. Your skin is vibrating like crazy. Your clothes feel itchy, painful, and uncomfortable. You quickly pull off your clothes and breathe a sigh of relief. But now your parents, who seemed excited to ask you about your day just moments ago, look and sound agitated. They grab the clothes and start putting them back on you. But it is just too much. You feel like you can't breathe. You're sweating. Your heart is racing. You've already held it together for hours and you just can't anymore. And you're hitting and you're scratching and you're kicking and you're yelling and you're punching others and yourself. And you lose track of things for a while. Sometime later, you come back to yourself and you feel sad. You wish you hadn't had that kind of reaction but you don't know how not to when things get to that level. You give your mom a quick hug, but only for a moment, otherwise it would be too much. She holds on to you for an extra few seconds, which is just a bit too much, so you need to push her away, and now she looks agitated again. But then she seems okay, and she brings out your favorite Lego set, and you build together for a while, and it feels nice. A little bit later, you're pulled to the kitchen table to have dinner. You try to move away, but they tell you that you have to sit at the table for dinner, and you do. But it's very hard to sit there. You don't like sitting for so long in one place. It feels like there are worms wriggling around inside you that want you to move. And the family is loud. The forks and knives scratching on plates feels like needles poking into your ears. You want to leave, but you're told you can't. And then you want to leave even more just because you were told you can't because you need to feel some sense of control so you can relax. You want to make noises to soothe yourself, but you're told to stop. And somehow, with all of this going on, you're supposed to want to eat food. Later, there is pushing to do homework that you don't want to do and don't understand why you must. And after that, there is the painful in your mouth toothbrushing that you don't want to do and don't understand why you must. There's also bath time and story time, both of which you like, but these aren't enough to prevent your heart from racing as you lie in bed. Your parents tell you that it's time to go to sleep, but how can you? You're wide awake, trying to relax, waiting for the whole overwhelming process to resume again in the morning. Okay, so when you're ready, you can go ahead and open your eyes. And maybe if you've just gone through that, you can take a moment to check in and, and notice 
Number one, what kind of feelings you were having as you were going through that. And number two, any sort of new thoughts or new realizations you had as you were listening to that. So uh, thank you two for letting me do that. Oh my God, I love that you did that. And I love that. I think it's so powerful to put yourself in your child's shoes and to really think about it from their perspective. Absolutely, definitely. Um, And um, I always, every time I listen to it or I say it myself, I always have a new realization, actually. And as I was listening to you do it so wonderfully, Ron, thank you, was I was thinking uh, it really struck me how our children are on our side. Often, often parents tell me like he's being naughty and he knows he's not supposed to do that. And I told him not to, et cetera, et cetera. But, But they're actually on our side. There are so many things that our children and our adults are doing that are trying to keep themselves regulated, keep themselves together. And um, I had like such compassion and love towards our people (laughs) because every, every autistic soul is like my person. (laughs) And um, when more compassion, even, and I've been doing this for so long, but more compassion when I was thinking about that. You know, when you were you were saying, Ron, that and no one's noticing that I'm like chewing my lip and I'm I'm panting and I'm holding this and I'm trying to keep myself together. That's what I'm trying to do. And I think that if if professionals in particular, um, wherever they are and, and parents remember that, that they're trying to keep themselves together. And the great thing about the uh, uh, the autism crisis turnaround is that we have five tools that will help everybody be also be on our child's side, right? To really illuminate, like you were saying, there are so many things that we can do that actually will transform this experience, our children and your child, whoever's listening, your child or your adult, because, um, We do so many things in the course, actually, they'll help you identify uniquely what is bombarding your child and what are the imposed situations for your particular child. Uh, um, And so that you can eliminate them and actually transform your child or adult's life so that they can have a really happy, comfortable life and they can tolerate more school or more social interaction but it has to be done in a, in a balanced way that's unique for your your particular situation. So yeah. true. Yeah. And absolutely. If I could just add something there, it's such a wow. I, I was very moved by what you just said, Kate. Yeah, absolutely. They're on our side. I love that. Um, the thing I would also throw out is if you, as you were listening to that, you will notice that there were two incidences where things kind of, especially, I mean, things were, that that person was struggling a lot, but there were two instances where things went off the rails in particular in the, within the visualization, right? And those are what Kate and I call neuro crashes, right? Those are what we call neuro crashes. And they're, um, it's very often counterproductive to see them as these sort of chosen behaviors, uh, you know, the way we would choose a, you know, choose a behavior that we often do choose, right? This is different. This is more like thinking of it like a, it's not exactly the same, but it's more like thinking about it like coughing or sneezing. It's like a physiological response, 
right? And the reason I bring that up is twofold. Number one is in terms of the parenting secret that it's not a tantrum, it's a neuro crash, right? One is, is to understand that when this stuff is happening, the stuff that you're, let's say, having difficulty with is happening on the outside, the neuro crash is what's happening on the inside, right? And in terms of defining it, Right, a neuro crash is when the imposed situation, the environment or circumstances, overwhelms your loved one's brain so that their coping mechanisms shut down. And that's when things do go off the rails, right? And they don't want to have, like as Kate was alluding to, they don't want the neuro crash just as much, maybe more than you don't want it. They're doing a lot of things to try not to have it. And the other thing I would just say is that there's a there's a huge difference between your child or adult not liking something or finding it unpleasant. This is where people get caught up with that it's a tantrum, right? There might be something they don't like or find unpleasant. Maybe they're not going to get to go to the store they want to go to, or maybe it's something you can't control. Like you live in a city and there's fire engines and ambulances and sirens going, but you can't, can't change that, right? Um, and so the difference here is, is that it may well be that your child or adult doesn't like that, doesn't enjoy that sound or wants what they want. And to be clear, the ACT protocol is not going to make your child suddenly love those things. That's not going to happen. But the difference is, is that uh, if you're oftentimes your child or adult is experiencing those things after, because of the imposed situations, after we burn through all of their internal resources. So now it seems like every little thing like that triggers a neuro crash. Uh, because they're at the end of their rope. But what actually is happening, Kate and I have seen this, is that if we don't burn through their internal resources by, by, by reducing the amount of imposed situations, which we go through how to do that, obviously, in the Act Live Rescue Course, uh, if you do that, then they still won't like the fire engine, right? Or they still might not like it if they really want to go to the store and they don't get to go, right? But they have enough internal resources where they can cope with that. Yeah, maybe they'll frown or they might complain or they might leave the room or, but it, they're not at the end of their rope. So now they can actually cope with something that might be a little bit unpleasant or they don't like. What was playing in my head when I would see the tantrums was, and of course I didn't have the curiosity and I didn't try to put myself sincerely in my son's head. But in those moments, I couldn't let go of the belief that oh, he's having a tantrum as a tactic to mm -hmm. get what he wants, to get under my skin, to, you know, whatever the, like, so I kept making up this story that it was a tactic, that it wasn't actually, as you're describing, this whole pressure that's building up for a variety of reasons that may be in that moment manifesting in something that we would call, or I would call a tantrum. So, so I think what I'm learning is that undoing that belief or at least being open to what you're saying that there are actual root causes that have nothing to do with your child doing it intentionally as a tactic. Yeah. And can I say something real quick about that? Because this is my one. So uh, you guys said, I wrote this book called autism breakthrough. That is true. Um, and there's so much about that, that I still get, I still have parents giving me, I wrote that book years ago. I still have a lot of wonderful feedback I get about it, but there is this one chapter. I really wish I could rewrite. And it actually makes me think like, oh my gosh, you might've gotten that idea from this chapter of my book. So I just want to apologize for that. Cause I think I, I emphasized a lot on, on how, um, sometimes our loved ones are tantruming because they don't have another way to communicate. And when we, sh when we say that, 
when we sort of demonstrate that that is a helpful way to communicate, it then perpetuates that. And there's, there's truth to that. But I think I overemphasized that part um, and didn't really address the, the fact that even if you have a child or adult who has trouble communicating, and even if they might then do the best they can to communicate, and that might look like, in certain instances, might look like a tantrum. In that case, that's still they're still being put in a situation where we burn through all their resources, and that's why they're in that space. That they're they don't they don't have enough resources left left to sort of try a different way or do it in a different way, or or they're and they're not self regulated enough to not break down while they're trying to get what they want. So I I'm glad you brought that up because I think your your point is very well taken, and I just. Uh, I want the, those words to go from your voice into that chapter of my book. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, you know, and that's one of the great things that, you know, I always think and Iran does too, about having so much uh, experience working with uh, our population and so many years is that we get to evolve. <laughs> we get to evolve our own learning and our own understanding through real experience with people. And I think also you have, and so many parents and, and professionals have this view because it's very difficult sometimes to really, really get that somebody else is experiencing something differently than you. So like you might, I know this is sound, it's probably a silly example, but like you like chocolate ice cream, right? And you love it so much. You think everybody loves it. I mean, how could you not love this ice cream? It's delicious. But the other person, it's like tastes disgusting. It's hard to really understand. How could that taste disgusting? Oh my God, it's so great. It's hard to really get there. That's why we wanted to do this visualization to um and sometimes we don't like i think sometimes um we don't we don't understand what it's truly like to be married for 20 years until we're married for 20 years what is truly like to have a newborn wake you up <laughs> and i've been there every single day for years you know until you're so sleep deprived until you've been there so and obviously we can't suddenly become autistic <laughs> but to that point like the visualization also is so powerful if you do that same scenario from the parent perspective so it's like because the parent's biting their lip the parent is doing all of these things too and so really being able I almost and I love that you guys teach this class live because I think it's really amazing because one you're meeting your audience whoever's there you're also able to share live examples that might really respond from all of the years of experience. But, you know, you had said something earlier on, but, you know, how you, the parent shows up and even the parent looking at their own little regulation strategies, like is really, you know, that biting the lip, the holding the hands a little bit tighter than you would. You know, I recently started doing yoga and I love when they say, okay, now it's time to relax your face because you don't realize how much tension you hold in it until you acknowledge it. And this is where as a parent of a child who's diagnosed with autism, I also have a quote unquote, neurotypical child, I also envisioned her while you were doing that visualization because she has her own triggers. She doesn't have a diagnosis, but a lot of that also applies to our neurotypical kids. So I think the beauty of what you just shared and also the beauty of what you do, yes, of course, it's, you know, helping 
autism and this population of individuals, but this net goes wider than that. This really goes for all of us, diagnosis or not. That's why Len and I support 100% parents with our coaching, because it's not about what to do, but it's how you show up for your child is such an amazing game-changing tool. And so this is where I love that you you know, you guys do this and help these families, especially when it feels like crisis with your five tools in your toolbox and these tactics, um, because there's so many balls that everyone is juggling day to day and how you show up to the juggle, you know, really um, changes everything. Yeah, yeah so actually, the third, I'm so glad you said that, because the third of the five turnaround tools, the third of third tool is actually focused specifically on the parent's emotional state, helping the parent master their own neuro crashes, helping the parent be able to uh, like regulate themselves, be in a good emotional frequency so that they, you know, they have their own quality of life and because their loved one is bouncing off of that in different ways. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. Wonderful. Yeah. One, one theme that seems to be running through all of this, whether it's from a child's perspective or the parent's perspective, is that everyone's fighting for control, you know, to get more control over their situation. And it's that drive for control for the parent that creates so much friction, you know, so much of the stress and the heaviness and a lack of understanding that for your child, they also have a need for some semblance of control it's like it's an innate human desire so just having that single awareness that your child also wants control more control just like you do to the parent i think that's in and of itself is a really huge revelation at least that i'm taking away that's actually a turnaround tool number two ceasefire and we have a couple of classes on that uh, and because we're actually approaching it from both both angles what what can we do to because there are many things that we can do every single day to yeah. be able to give our child or our adult more control on the spectrum absolutely but the the great thing is right there's so much you can do as a parent to give yourself more control as well so we talk about the balance of how can you really have could know what you're doing and what you're not doing with your child and sometimes as a parent, we can get very blurry. Am I going to let them do that? Am I not going to let them do that? Am I going to give them that? Am I not? And then you're like, Wah! right? We're going to take that blurry piece of your parenting and we're going to help you get such clarity so that you also can relax in knowing how you're going to parent, what you can say yes to and what you can say no to. And once you can relax that way, you have that clarity. Aha, uh -huh, guess what? <laughs> That's going to help your adult and your child relax also, which is it's another way out of the crisis that you may be facing right now. And we're, we're literally going to uh, uh, hold your hand through that process. Definitely. Actually, can I just tell a quick story exactly on Kate's point? Yes, do do. This is so cool. There's this yeah. guy named Rodrigo. Um, that's not his real name, but, uh, is, uh, and he's, uh, a guy that I worked with, I actually worked with his whole family. He's a 21 year old on the spectrum, fairly verbal. Um, and I actually flew out to work directly to do an in-home service with this family. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting about it is I walk in and it's like, 
<laughs> there's an aspect of it. It's like walking into like a prison camp or something because everyone's there's two parents. There's the brother of the, of the one who's on the spectrum and there's the one on the spectrum. There's four of them. And everyone is on edge. Everyone is on edge. Everyone's looking around, literally like looking like this because uh, they're enthralled to their loved one on the spectrum has all these certain, I guess you'd call them requirements, right? That he was at. So I'll just list a few of them because it was like, it got pretty intense. A lot of them were on the dad, although not all of them. Um, So the dad needed glasses, like really needed glasses to see, wasn't allowed to wear them uh, in front of his loved one. Had to wear, they lived in a warm climate. His dad had to wear this woolly sweater and a cap on his head that he did not, was not comfortable from. They had to wear them. And dad was not allowed to be in the car with the family. So the family could go on no trips together because dad had to be not there, right? And, and uh, so the family, and but they're also, it's not even just that, it's the minute to minute. They're looking around. Is he mad? Is he going to have a problem with something? Sometimes the dad wasn't allowed to come downstairs. That's just stay upstairs. Right. Um, and then there's even things like he would ask, he liked Legos, which is fine. They would buy him some Legos. That's great. Um, but he wanted this particular Lego set that was a thousand dollars. And it was actually like nine fifty, but close to a thousand. And they're like, what do we do? How do we get him to stop asking? Cause we can't, we can't buy him that. Right. And so there's, so there's all this stuff going on. It was really important to get this balance. There were areas where they did need to give him more control to give Rodrigo more control. And then there were these areas where they needed to have more control. They needed to have clear boundaries, but they didn't know how to set them. Do you know what I mean? And so uh, I worked with them on this. It was really cool because now uh, a few different things. I, I've been in touch with them. One is the dad can wear what he wants and it's totally fine. They actually, the, the dad can be in the car. In fact, they took a, a long distance trip drive down to Las Vegas to have a, their first weekend there. They, they'd been wanting, they hadn't been able to travel since this 21 year old was a kid, right? Yeah. So there was that piece of it. And, and actually with the Legos too, even, they, I, I, we talked it through and I had them say this to him, which is like, listen, you can, I love when you tell me what you want. You can ask for that. Lego set as much as you want. And when you do, I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to listen because I like to hear about this. Now, we're not going to be able to buy it because it's $1,000, right? I can buy you a $50 one. I'm not going to buy it. But listen, you can ask every day if you want. And I'm going to sit and listen because I like hearing what you what you want, right? Whereas they were in this whole thing of how do we get them to stop asking? They were thinking the asking is the problem. But it was actually their response that was creating the issues, right? Yes. So... Uh, that's an example of what Kate's kind of getting at there. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. No, that that's great and deep. And I think that's going to resonate with so many parents. So guys, you have a new live act program because you teach it how, what quarterly is it the live program? Roughly. Roughly. And then your website, we're going to have the website. If you want to say it, we're also going to put it in the show notes. Sure. It's autismcrisisturnaround.com. Um, just really quick cast too. They might, people might not be aware because this is actually also a new piece. Normally when people would get that course, they would just get that course. Um, and now we have two things we added to sort of make it a more robust, complete, comprehensive experience. So number one is included with the course, they get something called the, uh, the autism crisis lifeline instant mini course. So it's basically a go at your own pace, you know, you log into it and it, it does a few things. It gives you some initial 
techniques to use to kind of lower the temperature. It prepares you really well for the course. It also puts you in a situation where you don't have to wait for the course to start these techniques. So there's that. That's just included. The other thing that's included is a four-week after-course implementation support. So it's four weeks of live Zoom sessions that help you implement it, answer questions, kind of troubleshoot issues that come up, etc. Because we really, we were like, we want to make sure people can really do it. Um, and actually, I'll just say this too, because the 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 ACT protocol itself, when, when families or professionals are doing it, it's not something you do that's like a one-year process or six-month process. You do it for two to three weeks strongly. Sometimes actually you'll get a, a change a lot sooner than two weeks, but we recommend a couple of weeks um, to, to sort of help the person get in a regulated state. And then there's going to be aspects of it you probably want to keep permanently that are going to be really helpful. But that's what we do. So, so we were like, what do we have to do to make sure they can actually implement this in the temporary basis? So, but that'll really work in that basis. So that's why we added those components to it. Okay. Love that you added those components. I think that's truly setting, you know, the parents up for, you know, greater success um, to support their child. And that's truly what it's all about. We say over and over that parents get handed a lousy playbook or a playbook that's not even physical. It's just, this is how you do things. And what I think is a big part of your program is that you reveal, you know, approaches that just work and they very well might be the opposite of what you think would be effective. So we love uh, what you're doing. And I know you have an upcoming workshop. Uh, You you can give the day. I know this is recorded. People may be hearing it after the case, but I know you you have them on a pretty consistent basis. When is the next one for people who are listening to this when it gets released? Yeah. March 25th and 26th. And and also, you know, when people are in the middle of a crisis, they tend to not plan quarterly and say, oh, I'll, I'll do it next October. They're <laughs> and, like, they want out right now. And if someone, yeah. let's say, did need immediate, right, or and was willing to kind of invest in that, is that something that you do work one-on-one with families as well? You used Rodrigo as an example. I just want to, if they went to that website and was looking for a little bit more custom support for them, is that something you also do? Absolutely. And actually people can email us at contact at autismcrisisturnaround.com. So they want that. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, and that's where everyone, you know, it's, everyone has different needs. So I think it's just knowing both options that are out there, I think could be also really important for our listeners. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So March 25th, 26th, 2023 is when we're, we're talking and depending on when you're listening to, uh, to this, but otherwise, uh, autism crisis turnaround. Uh, check it out. And again, we just love when you both uh, join this discussion to share what you know. It is absolutely incredibly useful. Cass and I are constantly learning, and we really look forward to the next time. Uh, just love these conversations. So thank you for what you do, and thank you for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. So, so wonderful to be on your show. We always love it so much. Want to discover your top autism parenting blind spot? Take our free quiz today. Go to allinparent.com slash go.